already happening. And she is flying right into the heart of it. The battlefield is locked. Skyscraper. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe. It's Binge Movies 143. I'm Jason. This is a show that ranks, eliminates movies, determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank Die Hard Knockoffs. Normally, I have a very elaborate kind of introduction. I blow smoke up the guest ass. Sometimes it's true smoke. Most of the time, it's true smoke, honestly. If there is such a thing. So it's not really smoke. Most of the time, I'm just blowing truth up my guest's ass. In this case, I'm going to fall short. And I'm not going to be able to do that for Sam. Not because he doesn't deserve it. Because I've, I've had a pretty shitty day, Sam. Um, I guess I'm going to announce this to you and to our listeners at the same time. Um, this is probably going to be my last episode of Binge Movies. What? Holy shit. Yep. The show, <laughs> look at your face. Yeah, the show is going to continue, but it will not be continuing with me. Wow. Holy uh, fuck. It's going <laughs> to be continuing with AI. Um, the, the company that owns the show has decided that an AI could do the show just as good as I could, if mm, not a little bit true. better. Yep. And in fact, they have enough audio already of my voice that they could feed that into an AI. And the next 600 episodes of Binge Movies are going to be all AI. They'll be able to fit a lot more ball trimmer ads in that way. Um, Good point. And shorten the episodes, ironically. We'll be, have much shorter episodes if it's not me. So it may sound like me, uh, but it will not be me. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe, it is the new and improved Binge Movies. All hail the new flesh. There's going to be like 600 episodes within a week of you ending, right? Like it's going to, they're just going to pump out as many as they can. <clears throat> Correct. Yep. Cool. Awesome. I'm under the impression that they're already been produced. So the very next episode you listen to will not be me. It'll be a AI facsimile of me moving forward. Holy I'm probably not shit. even supposed to disclose this and I may have to edit this whole thing out in post, but I figured to, I want to let you know, because Sam, the next time that you come on here, you're probably just going to be talking to a bot, bud. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. They're the only people that talk back to me, so I'm quite excited about that. <laughs> you're going to be talking to a chat app. Ooh. You know, it'll, it'll be just like a lot of people's dating profiles or Instagram DMs. they all mm. bots. Promoted on Reality Records. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bummed out. Um, I spent a lot of time crying today, and I'm going to bring mm. a lot of weird energy to the episode because... I'm effectively out of a job, so. Oh, man, that's depressing. Yep. Well, I would like to say that I'm often imitated but never duplicated, but now I've been imitated and duplicated. So I can't even say that anymore. <laughs> so now I'm often imitated and now uh, often duplicated. Yeah. 
and pretty much replicate. You're supposed this to be lifting amazing. my spirits. You're <laughs> I know. You're supposed to be saying that there's an ineffable quality to my voice and to my ability and to my skills, but I say you're just looking at me. You're, you're, it seems like you're more stunned than I am. I am. I'm, I'm really surprised. I, I must admit, when you said, you know, I can't blow smoke up his ass, I was thinking because we actually planned to record a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, and me and my infinite wisdom decided to jot down the date when I was tired and hungover after a fucking few nights on the bivvies, and then... Like the day of it happening. The, oh, excuse, hey, excuse me. A few nights on the what? The bevies, the beverages. I guess this is New Zealand the slang. Bevies. What, bevies. What, yeah, what the fork? What the fork is the bevies? <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, jotted <laughs> down the date. Thought everything was sweet. Thought we were all good, and then um, decided New Year, new me. I wouldn't go on social media too much, and then went on Twitter at six o'clock <laughs> at night to discover. Hey, are we doing this? Well, I guess not. We're going to have to reschedule. And I was like, I wasn't going to bring that up. You should you have brought it up. There is a large here's crack the good news. No. in the back of my phone from where I crushed my phone in my hand. Like I've actually oh crunched God. the case. You can actually see it. You can see the case. Like I legitimately just, what the fuck? The good news is moving forward, mm. you will probably be automated as a guest at some point. So it won't even matter. You'll never have to schedule another one of these at Binge Movies, probably beyond today. If we get enough audio of you today, boom, there's going to be an AI Sam. That'd be amazing. I mean, New Zealand's only just got the internet. So for me to be AI'd as well is like, wow, this is leaps and bounds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yours, there's not probably not enough. There's only a couple episodes of you. But again, there's a lot of stuff out of you on the internet. You've done a guest appearance. You've been on the countdown at least mm. a thousand times. At least, yeah. Um, so they'll just, they'll just start ripping words and sentences and phraseology out of there. Hi, I am Sam, and I am glad to be back on my favorite podcast, Binge Movies. I can't wait. Have you ever been on the Contrarian? Have you ever been on the Contrarians? Yep, podcast? been on the Contrarians. Uh, I've been on. Okay, we'll uh, take it from there. Swim. Have you? Ever have yep. you ever been? Uh, yeah, I don't know those guys. Don't uh, they don't count to me? Have you ever been on Epic Film Guys? Uh, yes. Yep. Been on okay, Epic Film Guys. Yep. We're taking that. Uh, obviously, you're on. We watch the thing every other week, so we'll yes. take you from there. Um, have you ever been on Real Spoilers? No. I told you I love the guys from Real Spoilers. Genuinely, the best guys in the world. But as far as a show goes, <laughs> I think they've been AI for the last ten years. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, you'd have no way of knowing, really. Like, like most of most podcasters, I've never actually met them in real life, so I'd have no idea. Yeah. If listen, there's a chance that Kevin is a person. There's definitely a chance that Tom is a person, but Joe, he's just a series of Marvel and wrestling references in <laughs> in an indistinguishable order. I tease because I love it. It's actually not true. In case you didn't show up tonight, Sam, I already had a replacement for you lined up, and it was Joe from Real Spoilers, hence why I'm busting her balls. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I feel so valued. This guy's a fucking idiot. He's not doing shit. I just thought, hey, man, you know what? Something's going on over there. Because here's the thing. You disappeared off of Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, what the fuck? Did this guy quit his podcast and not tell me? <laughs> and then when we realized, oh, no, it's just the uh, because of the international dateline fucking our brains up. Yeah. Like, okay, understandable. Uh, now we're going to do it this really weird time for both of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in case something comes up or kids get sick or whatever, mm. uh, so I don't delay the season, I'm just going to have to do a backup. Then I'd figure out just to get you on an episode 
uh, in the next season. I just shift things around. Mm. But it, we don't have to do that. I don't have to bring in AI Joe from <laughs> Real Spoilers. Uh, I can just have you and I can convert you to AI as we talk. Isn't that wonderful? That sounds amazing. All right. We're talking about some diehard knockoffs today. This raises the question. We'll get into it throughout the conversation, Sam. But the whole purpose of this show is to figure out what movies are worthy of preservation. Are there any knockoff movies that are actually better than the movie they knocked off? Oh, I should have done some homework on that. That is a great question. There's nothing that springs to mind. There's nothing that's like, hey, we're, you know, blatantly going for the exact same plot, you know, like major plot point. Yet we've managed to do it better. I mean... If, if I was there to push, I can't really stand Dances with Wolves, so I'd say Avatar is marginally better than Dances with Wolves. Avatar is probably better than Dances with Wolves, and it's probably better than Ferngali, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. It's probably better than those yeah. two. I'll, I'll go yeah. for that. Yeah. James Cameron has created a definitive knockoff movie that's better than the originals that it ripped off. We've we've ended the episode right there. We don't even have to talk about the rest of the movies on this list. Oh, thank God. Uh, yeah, we're just done. So, Actually, no, Sam, you don't get off that easy. Either do our listeners at home. This has been the weirdest beginning to an episode I've ever done. And that says something because I've had a lot of weird beginnings. Let's see if we can get some weird endings. That's probably something that's legal in Auckland, New Zealand, and not legal here in the good old United States of America. Uh, let's get into weird endings at the massage parlor that is movie reviews in 20 cues. Starting with 1991's Toy Soldiers, which currently... Ooh, <laughs> happy endings at Toy Soldiers. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> currently has a 38% on Rotten Tomato. Terrorists just took over their school. The students have no weapons. Are you with me or not? Of course we're with you. And no way out. We'll get everybody killed. It's too late to back out now. The only chance they've got. We're really gonna do this? You bet. Is each other. Toy Soldiers. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Toy Soldiers was directed by Daniel Petrie Jr., and it was written by David Kep of Jurassic Park and many other movies fame and Daniel Petrie Jr. It was released April 26, 1991 in the United States. It is the triumphant return of Lewis Gossett Jr., Enemy Mine. Uh, that's the last time we saw him. It's the triumphant return of Will Wheaton, last seen in Stand By Me. It is the triumphant return of R. Lee Emery. Last seen in Full Metal Jackets, triumphant return of Andrew Divoff, a.k.a. The Wishmaster. Last seen in Air Force One. It is the triumphant return of Denholm Elliott. Last seen in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. On a budget of $10 million, this movie made... Any guess? $40 million. $15 million. Ah, damn it. The Cali Cartel takes prep school brats hostage. And only their hijinks can save them. You got a synopsis for me? Uh, this movie's fucking terrible. Was that a synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I confuse this with a movie from 1997 called Masterminds, which stars Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, right. Yep, yep. So I thought maybe that's what this one was when the list came down from the Dark Movie Overlords. Turns out I was wrong. Turns out it's a movie I've never heard of, and probably for good reasons. My apologies 
to patron elite member Heather Sachs and various and sundry other members of the Patreon of binge movies who probably know, love, like, and own this movie on Betamax. I will say this. There's some positives before I rag on this movie. When the movie opened and they launched a lady hostage out the window for her to splatter on a ledge and on the stairs, I thought, holy crap. Okay. We're in for, we're in for a legitimate, like, like terrorist movie, a hostage movie. Yeah. And there's a couple other elements like that or moments like that throughout the film where it's really strange because the terrorists are written like real terrorists in a real movie where the drug cartel of Colombia will fuck you up. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The other three quarters of the movie is written as a teen hijinks, all boys, private school coming of age film where they're using, they're hacking the phone lines to call phone sex operators or masquerading mouthwash is vodka or vodka's mouthwash rather, which leads me to ask, what the fuck is this movie? Yes. Is this a hard R movie for 90s teenagers? It it's it's bizarre because it's like like because we were supposed to record this a while back, I decided, you know, like, should I rewatch some of these films and like, you know, bring myself up to memory and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And when I, me and my wife sat down to watch a movie on Monday or Tuesday night, she said to me, and this is probably ruining the synopsis for all these films, but she, she said to me, okay, what, what are these films? I was like, okay, so we've got one where this, um, you know, terrorists take over a boat and then the guy on the boat has to fight them all off. We've got another one where terrorists take over a skyscraper and he's got to fight them all off. We've got one where terrorists take over a hockey rink and he's, you know, the guy inside has to fight them all off. And, and then she like looked at me and then she was like, oh, and then by the way, we've got this one where terrorists take over a school and then we get American Pie for about 45 fucking minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we yeah. get a whole bunch of whimsy and then they basically, you know, it turns into, into basically a whole bunch of these kids trying to fight off the terrorists. And she was like, you're making shit up now. And I'm like, I'm fucking not making shit up. We managed to watch about three quarters of the trailer. And she was like, okay, I want to watch the, I want to watch the boat one. I was like, cool. Fuck. <laughs> You're not wrong about whimsy though, right? Because the tonal whiplash that happens here, we get yes. very serious murders for the first, let's say 10 minutes of the movie. Right. It's yeah, serious. Yeah. People are fucking murdered. It's like, okay, this is going to be like an action drama. This is going to be like a legit movie. Then cut to what feels like a bunch of boys in short shorts dancing, like running in England at all boys prep school. It wasn't. Yeah. It was shot in New York. But the musical score is like Dead Poet Society That's or something like like it's like it's like it's like all, it's yeah it's whimsy it's like oh pranks shenanigans ha 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 and you're right like the next thirty minutes of it are all about the pranks and shenanigans of predominantly wealthy white kids who are the sons of politicians who are pulling pranks on Louis Gossett Jr. and trying to get drunk or trying to get laid or trying to in a circle jerk in the basement. <laughs> on a, with a phone sex operator or whatever the hell else. And then when the terrorists show back up, they're still the, these extremely violent, hard R terrorists to the point that if you don't like Will Wheaton, which it, by my calculation is about 99.7 of the sane population of the world, <laughs> you can watch Will Wheaton try to grab a gun to shoot the terrorists, even though they're letting him go. 
And then you watch a teen boy who could not even handle the recoil of the gun in his hand end up getting sprayed with bullets and murdered on the stairs of his school in front of all of his teachers and friends. It's it's insane. That was the part where I was like, okay, these people aren't fucking around. Because there was a point there where Sean Astin has quite possibly the biggest load of plot armor that I've ever seen in any character. Outside of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where you're like, there's no yes. way he's ever going to die. It's yep. like he, there's multiple times where the terrorist could kill this guy. And, and admittedly, he's like, you know, they don't want to kill him because he's worth a little bit of money. But like you've got 40 other you know, pay packets <laughs> that are roaming around the school and you've got one pretentious little snothead kid that you'd blow away. I'm like, how the, what? Why didn't they shoot him? And then they shoot Will, shoot Will Whedon. I'm like, where the fuck is the logic in this movie? What is going on? Well, yeah, because the cartel members, so the, the basically uh, the Wishmaster is the main gangster mm. and he's with the Kelly cartel and his dad is the main cartel boss and his dad is imprisoned. And so they've taken this, uh, Xavier school for Nepo babies over. And it's all of these kids of wealthy politicians, except for, um, uh, one of the characters, their dad is just a mob boss. Yeah. And I think that's Will Wheaton, right? Isn't it? Will that's, Wheaton's dad's that, a mob boss. Will Wheaton's dad's a mob boss. And that's the one they decided this, to murder. I think he's played by Jerry Orbach. <laughs> After <laughs> a while, yeah, yeah. from Law and Order and uh, Dan Dirty Dancing, and he's playing an Italian mobster who his son is Will Wheaton, but Will Wheaton hates him. So when Will Wheaton figures out that his mob boss dad has negotiated with the Colombian drug cartel for him to be released because they're actually buddies, and the guys, and the guys, like, oh, we didn't realize like whose kid you were. Like we'll let you go. Like no harm, no foul. Instead, he like kicks with a terrorist, steals their gun, and before he could even get off a single round, I mean, I think he kind of like starts spraying indiscriminately all around, but but he's not even close to hitting anybody. And as he's pulling the trigger, they just blow the fuck out of Will Wheaton yeah. on the stairs of the school while all of these children watch. And you're just like, this movie feels like two scripts that do not belong together that were thrown together. And the only thing I could imagine is that if you were like 10 years old, you had to be a very specific age at a very, very specific time. Correct, yeah, yeah. Where if you were 10 years old in 1991 and you had access stateside to, a, to Cinemax, and this was just aired every afternoon at like 3 p.m., you probably fucking love this movie. But as a grown adult in 2023 watching it, I was like, I could not... In between pretty well executed action, like as far as like violence goes, like squibs and explosions, all that sort of stuff, you get the prank hijinks. And in between that, you get long stretches of just these wealthy affluenza kids just bitching about their lives. Like the whole, the whole facility, the whole compound is under terrorist control, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but they are they get they get they get to be in their rooms unattended so they can actually plot and map out and build a drone and do all of this shit with nobody noticing most of it it's it's either happening in their bedroom their dormitory where there are apparently no guards in the rooms or it's happening quite open in the main courtyard of the school where they're doing most of their classwork they continue classes at this boarding school, prep school for boys, 
while the terrorists are an armed guards are all over the facility. It's it's batshit. It's like if Home Alone, like Kevin was setting up all the traps while the armed band, you know, wet bandits were just wandering around like, hey, what are you up to? Oh, I'm just setting up these paint cans. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what Sean Aston like. <laughs> escapes the school, the armed school, because they distract the bad guys with the drone. He gets out to the military CIA tents where the people are trying to figure out, they're trying to negotiate, the FBI is trying to negotiate with the Kelly cartel, where Lou Gossett Jr., who is just like the head, he's not even the head principal because that's the guy from, that's Elliot, what's his face from, Last Crusade, who's the yeah. headmaster. Yeah. Lou Gossett Jr. is almost just like the like assistant principal. I don't even know what the fuck his role is. <laughs> He's somehow Probably the genocide in there. Man. Who fucking knows? He's in there with the FBI, somehow helping them negotiate, which doesn't make any sense. And then Lou Gossett Jr. argues on the behalf of Sean Austin. Yeah. Or Sean Aston. Aston, yeah. And says, hey, if you got to trust anybody, you trust this 16-year-old kid in, in Reebok pumps. You trust him to free and liberate all of these people. Don't go in. Don't do any kind of intervention. It doesn't matter. Like, they call the president. Yeah. And Lou Gossett Jr. goes, don't listen to the president. Listen to 16-year-old Sean Astin. He knows he's got a sketchbook full of drawings. Or as you would say over there, drawings. Drawings, yeah. Sean Astin, (laughs) who at this point has been the absolute snottiest punk-nosed kid who's on the verge of being expelled. Let's listen to him. He knows what he's up to. (laughs) He knows what he's up to because he found out a way to masquerade vodka as mouthwash. Correct. Yeah, that's a good point. So he's the boy we need to trust. Yeah. 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 Forget all of your CIA intel. Forget what the FBI, forget what the president says. Forget all of that. Listen to this 16-year-old boy who's only there on a fucking scholarship, by the way. <laughs> it made, like, it's a fantasy for kids, but as an adult, when you're watching it, you're like, this is intermittently extremely violent, <laughs> deeply boring, yes, pretty fucking cheesy, and completely unbelievable. It, it is like a sloppy one night stand between Red Dawn and Dead Pirate Society. And they've knocked out this kid that neither of them wants to take care of and no one's shown the love it deserves. And this is the end result. That's a great way to put it. And, and there are so, even though the stakes should be crazy high because we're watching them murder people and children and Mm. the elderly and they're blowing shit up because these kids have an hour and a half, it seems of, just time to come up with their plot. It feels so lax that, and the kids so feel re- relatively free to like come and go. It doesn't feel like there's any stakes to this movie whatsoever, which if you're going to be in a, we're going to kill kids on screen and take kids hostage. And we're actually going to fucking murder them. There ought to, there ought to, there ought to be stakes. I don't feel, you ought to feel tension. There's no tension in this movie. It's not the worst of the week. No, but it's my, Second worst of the week. It's my number four, and I give it a four out of ten. Correct. I really didn't enjoy it. I will never watch it again. Correct. Oh, I'm with you. I went bizarrely specific and said three point eight out of ten. I'm right up there with you in terms of okay. being on track. It's oh. is it your worst of the week or is it your number four? It's my number four. I mean, it's pretty obvious what our number five is going to be, but um, we'll hold. Is it? Oh, I feel well. Maybe. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. 
Uh, so what what number was it for you again? It was number four. Definitely number four. Number four. Easily okay. number four. All right. Yeah. All right. Moving along. Moving along. We are still in the 1990s, just one year later. I'm talking about Passenger 57, which somehow has a lower score at a 24%. The flight is in the air. Hijackers are on board. Who's in charge? You are. One passenger is fighting back. You, back your seat. Come on, freeze. Wesley Snipes is passenger 57. Chill out. I'm one of the good guys. Terror at 40,000 feet and climbing. Passenger 57. Tell me the goodest. I'm the best. Rated R starts Friday, November 6th at a theater near you. This film was directed by Kevin Hooks with a screenplay by uh, David L- uh, Lawfery and Dan Gordon with a uh, <clears throat> with a story <laughs> with a <laughs> with a story by Stuart Raphael and Dan Gordon. It is a triumphal return of Tom Sizemore, last seen in Saving Private Ryan, and it's the triumphant return of Liz Hurley. Pre-facial reconstructive surgery, uh, lasting in Austin Powers. This film is released November 6, 1992, on a budget of $15 million, made $66 million. Traumatized airline security expert gets back on board a plane at the absolute worst time. Yep, that sums it up. That, I mean, that is the synopsis. <laughs> Weasley Snipes is... Okay. Yep. Basically, you're on the wrong binge lords. Consult your binge movies notebook, which you can get officially at bingemovies.threadless.com. Because I think this may be the debut of Sir Wesley Snipes on binge movies. I think I could be wrong, but I think that's true. This movie has five million dollars more to its budget than Toy Soldiers, but is shot and directed at an entirely different skill level. One looks like a television movie, just with ultra violence, and the other looks like an actual major motion picture. Yep, that sums it up. Uh, I'm. If you want me to guess what the box office was for this, I'm going to go 40 million again. 66 million. I already said it. <laughs> I'm right in the middle. Repeat after me. <laughs> Repeat after me, Sam. Yes. Bruce Payne is insane. Bruce Payne is insane. Bruce Payne as Charles Rain, who makes people repeat after him that Charles Rain is not insane, is a liar because Bruce Payne as Charles Rain is insane. This to me was, uh, uh, let me rewind. On our podcast, we have what's called the hyperbole sandwich, which is, which is when we're going to give a score to a movie um, over 10,000 out of 10,000 because we love it so much or we think it's so good or whatever. Alternatively, we have the shit's old hyperbole sandwich, which is ones that we give under 10,000. And spoiler alert, I probably would give about four of these movies hyperbole sandwiches for three good reasons and one not. But the for this, he got me into hyperbole sandwich territory because it's like... <laughs> Everything you loved about Alan Rickman and Die Hard, but on cocaine. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Completely fucking unstable. Unstable, but like furiously trying to keep it together and seem cold and manipulative and shit like that. He he swallowed the whole bag and he's basically going, hold it together, man. Hold it together. It is batshit. Bruce Payne is acting as if he knows that they wanted to cast Julian Sands, first and foremost. (laughs) Yeah. Couldn't get him, and so he's just decided, I'm going to act so hard in this movie, Julian Sands will never be cast again. 
He's not just trying to take this guy's role. He's eating whole meals out of scenery to take that guy's entire fucking career. He's like, you know what, Alan Rickman, fuck you. It, it, it doesn't make sense because this came out before Face Off. Mm. If you could take Caster Troy and put him inside the body of Alan Rickman in Die Hard and make him look like Julian Sands, that's Robert Payne as Charles Rain, who is insane in this fucking movie. You're exactly right. It's as if he actually. It's as if he was. He was muling drugs on a plane of cocaine up his rectum. The bag exploded, and he is slowly losing his shit on some kind of laced coke. But he's supposed to be cold and calculating because he is bonkers in this movie. Bonkers. Absolutely. Like I, I cannot think of another film that I've watched where I've smelt it. You know, and all I could smell was sweat. You know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> this movie just smelt like sweat while I was watching. I was like, yeah, you know, it, oh, he, <laughs> I, I can't say enough good things about him. Like it was so bizarre. yet so like invigorating. It's like, you can see everything he's going for and then it's like, oh, you've hit it. And then you've just kept shooting over top of it and you, you're still going yep. around. <laughs> <laughs> it's, if you can smell this movie, you can also hear it because this great. has the most early 1990s soft rock soundtrack. It's th like this, this soundtrack could only, the score for the film could only have been composed at this exact moment. Yeah, yeah. Th this movie would not sound like this in 1989. No. Nah. Or even maybe 1990. And it wouldn't sound like this in 1993 or 1994. But in 91, 92, when they made this movie, this is what all movies sounded like. For a while, they, they all had Muzak scores like there is elevator music scores not quite han zimmer not quite muzak that's the score of this movie and because it ropes in a plane and it's got like a weird not quite lethal weapon muzak soft rock score with maybe a little bit of saxophone and guitar but it happens on a plane yeah it's die hard but it's actually die hard 2 this is a die hard 2 knockoff where they hijack the plane for 15 minutes. Then it becomes a hostage plot on the tarmac for 10 minutes. And then it becomes about them chasing each other around a local carnival conveniently placed directly next to a regional airport of all places. And then like 30 minutes of the movie happens at the carnival. Then they get back on the plane. <laughs> I, I, I struggle to make sense of it. Like, like watching it, I remember like the carnival beside the airport. I was like, "No, oh, it's America. Yeah. They probably do that," you know. But I'm like, um, but while we're talking about time, my first note about this movie was: I love a film that's one hour twenty three minutes, and the opening credits are five minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, here's the thing: this is a short ass movie. Yeah, very short. Okay. Yeah. And after we get through those opening credits. This fucking movie wastes no time. You know how you're supposed to have an action sequence like every 10 to 15 minutes? They do. And if that requires them to get off the plane or have an emergency landing the plane or get back on the plane or have a, have, a, have a chase sequence on the tarmac or have a hostage situation or mistaken identity, they'll do it all. Like, nobody told these screenwriters, if you're going to do a bottle movie that's about taking a plane hostage 
in midair and to negotiate whatever the fuck as terrorists and try to get to wherever the fuck, you probably shouldn't get off the plane. Nobody <laughs> told these guys. They were like 10 minutes on the plane, the rest of the movie's off the plane, last 15 minutes back on the plane. <laughs> like they gave no fucks. They were like, whatever the sequence needs to be, you know what? Let's have a shootout in a carnival on a carousel where the horse heads explode in fire when they're shot. Yeah. Why are porcelain horse heads exploding or whatever the fuck that's made out of? Why are horse heads on a carousel exploding in fire when they're shot? We don't know, but it's happening because it's the 90s and this is what movies were. And yeah, like, do you want to see Wesley Snipes like karate kick a guy off of a merry-go-round or off of a carousel or off of uh, whatever the fuck? At the carnival, then you want to see him race a motorcycle back to the airport to get back on the plane to get the terrorist guy, and in between, be racially profiled by hick cops. Oh, who he then? Gosh, yes. There's racist cops who he then becomes buddies with by the end of the movie, even though they keep calling him boy the entire time and think he's the criminal specifically because he's black. Sure, this is the movie for you. Oh, yeah, not to mention the fact that a woman that he met at the start of the movie, he has negative sexual tension with throughout the entirety yes. of the film. By the time we end, they're walking away arm in arm. At no point does it infer that there's any sort of sexual chemistry or flirtation no. or anything. It's just like, hey, do you want to get no. out here and go, fuck, oh, hell, now that you put it that way, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're 100% right. The movie has this weird running subtext of, <clears throat> I shouldn't say weird, it's a unexplored subtext. Yes. Yeah. Where when he boards the plane, all the white passengers think that he is Arsenio Hall. <laughs> That's right. And a very dated joke where they whoop, 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 whoop at him because they think that he is Arsenio Hall. Mm. Therefore, you know, white people can't tell black people apart because they're implicitly racist, right? Yeah. Then there's this constant thing that's going on that nobody believes that he is a security expert because of the color of his skin. And because he's dressed in casual clothes, whatever, whatever. And then our boy, Charles Rain, a.k.a. Bruce Payne, who is insane. When he's talking to him through the walkie-talkies a la Die Hard. Uh, actually, no, it's when it, one of the times they're in person where he's like interrogating him. Rain says something about like they don't trust you because of blah, 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 blah. Like you're impulsive because of your breeding. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a deeply implied racist remark, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's racist, but you've got to think about it racist. <laughs> yes. But the way the movie categorizes Rain is that as if he's saying that to him because he knows that's going to get under his skin and that he's trying to get him to react because if he reacts, then the racist sheriffs will, like, whatever, whatever, take him off the case and he'll be able to get back on his plane and take off again or whatever, whatever the, whatever the fuck the plot of this, of this movie. Yeah. I, I forgot but the plot halfway through. I, I legitimately forgot what, I, what they were doing and why they were there. I was like, I'm just strapping. I can't tell you why he wants this plane and where he's trying to go. I know he's trying to go somewhere. I know he's trying to accomplish something. The only thing that matters to me is that Wesley Snipes rules in this movie. Correct. Yes. I've said this time and time again, Wesley Snipes has been great in good movies. Wesley Snipes has been good, good in great movies. Wesley Snipes has been great in bad movies, and he's been in lots of bad movies. 
But Wesley Snipes has rarely, if ever, been bad himself in any movie. The only one that springs to mind is Blade 3. And there was a lot of stuff going on in that movie that made... That, you know, like he hated the director. He hated the screenwriter. He hated everything about it that, you know, he he was phoning it in as an understatement. But do you want to know my out for that? Go, go, go. Because I knew you were going to bring it up. He's not fucking in the movie because it's his stand-in who's in most of the scenes. That is true. That is true. So Wesley Snipes has technically rarely been bad in a movie because he didn't just phone in that performance. He didn't even show up. He's not physically there. <laughs> and even when he is there, they digitally put eyes on him. And it's, it's the digitizer's fault. You know, it's the guy that created those that's eyes. Correct. That yeah, did the shitty that's eyes. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Here's what else makes this great. The cinematographer for this movie is the same cinematographer. His name's Mark Irwin. He worked on the fly remake, the Cronenberg fly. Hmm. He worked on the Blob remake, the nineteen eighty eight. He worked on Scream. He worked on There's Something uh, About Mary. Damn. And that is just like five films they picked out of like the four hundred he's worked on. <laughs> they got a legitimate cinematographer to shoot the movie, so the movie looks pretty good. It does look pretty good. I will give it that as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's very well directed. And when you have Wesley Snipes who's performing to whatever degree actual action sequences martial arts in camera himself in wide shots because there's another fucking guy on this list who doesn't do it (laughs) it doesn't even do it in one of his quote-unquote good movies that we're going to cover it's like uh yeah here's a movie star who's actually performing stunts that we can see where it's clearly him on screen and that lifts this movie above the fray even though it's a hostage movie that's supposed to take place entirely on a plane and they disembark that plane as fast as they can <laughs> it's amazing it's if you call your movie passenger 57 and you are on in a 90 minute movie you're on the plane a total of 15 minutes there's something amiss but i don't care i don't care at all maybe it was passenger 57 on that ferris wheel we don't know <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the horse, the horse that he was riding on the carousel, carousel. was horse fifty seven. There we go. That's what I was thinking. Of. The carousel. It was passenger fifty seven on the carousel. Sure. Have I missed anything? Am I inflating this movie too high, or are we in a similar position? I'm very much in the same position as you. I really had a good time with this. It was the second movie I watched because I watched these guys chronologically, and after the first one, which yeah. I hadn't seen before, I was like. Oh, I don't know about this. And then message Billy um, from We Watch the Thing, and he's like, "Oh, I'm doing Tarantino movies." And I was like, Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, you haven't even seen them, Billy." And he's like, "Oh, I get to watch Inglorious Bastards." I was like, "You shut the fuck up right now, Billy." But um, but like like <laughs> when I started getting into this, I was like, "Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm fully in." To the point that when Liz Hurley had her turn, you know, from being just an ear hostess to being also being like second in the command of the bad guys or whatever, I was like, "No, not you, Liz Hurley. No, like I wasn't." Invested. I was so invested. No. Oh no. No. <laughs> um yes, I've never not been invested in Liz Hurley. Oh, neither. So yeah. there, there was that uh, and my my little note here was like 
it was so stupid that I loved it, which is the point at which the, the plane gets taken over and like shots are getting fired and all the other stuff. And then about a minute after that, a lady just comes randomly screaming out of the toilets. And I was like, surely common sense would dictate that you'd stay in the toilets after hearing all of this happen. You wouldn't draw attention to yourself and just come screaming out of the toilets 20 seconds after every, after the shootout's finished. Like, come on, lady. For me, I give this one a 6.8 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't say it's a good movie. But I also really enjoyed it and I liked it. I would say it is a pizza movie to our patrons over on Patreon. You know what that means. Uh, so for me, it's 6.8 out of 10 and it's coming at my number three for the week. What do you got? <laughs> this is so unreal. Uh, 6.9 out of 10 just because like if, if I was doing my podcast, I'd turn that to a hyperbole sandwich and chuck it to 69,000 out of 10,000 just as a joke. But <laughs> like, yeah, 6.9 out of 10. Like really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed it. And and it ranks where? Uh, number three as well. Number three. Damn! Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, it's time to move on to, allegedly, according to Paul from the Countdown, one of uh, Steven Seagal's quote-unquote good movies. We're talking about 1992's Under Siege, which currently has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. A terrorist controls the world's most dangerous weapons. Happy trails. But there's one weapon he doesn't control. Steven Seagal. Here come the good guys. Tommy Lee Jones, Under Siege, Rated R. Starts Friday, October 9th at a theater near you. Under Siege was directed by Andrew David. It was written by J.F. Lawton. It was released October 9th, 1992. It is the triumphant return of Tommy Lee Jones, last seen in Men in Black. It is a triumphant return of Gary Busey, last seen in Predator 2. It is a triumphant return of Nick Mancuso, who played Franco Macaluso in Revelation. It is uh, Apocalypse 2 Revelation, by the way. Uh, it is the triumphant return of David McKnight, last seen in Pump Up the Volume. It is a triumphant return of Troy Evans, last seen in Halloween 5. It is a triumphant return of Bernie Casey, last seen in In the Mouth of Madness. It's the triumph return of Colin Meany, last seen in either Die Hard 2 or Dick Tracy, can't remember. On a budget of $35 million, this film made $156.6 million. Wow. A nuke-carrying battleship is taken hostage by lunatics, and only the cunt cook can save the planet. <laughs> yeah, that sums it up. That does sum it up. Okay. This movie has twice the budget as Passenger 57. So, uh, and we can see some of that, right? Because it's shot at sea. Part of it appears to be on a real battleship or adjacent, you know, stand-in facilities. They're, they obviously had to build some sets. There's some out-to-sea photography, helicopter photography. There's a lot more big stars in this, uh, especially on the villain side at this time. Um, so you can see that also the guy who directs this, Andrew Davis, he's making a triumph return because he directed the fugitive, which would come out just a few short years later with Harrison Ford. So you're getting a pretty good director. Okay. Um, also there is a little gag here that Seagal has where he goes, what kind of money are they spending on this photo opportunity? <laughs> because they got real live footage of, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the the president of the U.S. at that time, decommissioning uh, a real battleship, uh, a real carrier. And they had to spend a bunch of fucking money to be able to get that. And right afterwards, there's like an in-joke, you know, there's a little, uh, you know. Um, here, here's what I'll say. We spent enough time with Seagal as Ryback to show that he's a man of the people. <laughs> 
And what that equates to, Sam, is that Steven Seagal is trying his darndest to be Bruce Willis in this movie. Yes. He's like joking around with everybody and he has no sense of tone or inflection or timing. It's like if Marlon Brando and Bruce Willis, they came together, he's telling jokes. Well, that's right, Cookie. With all the wait staff and all the underlings in the ship, and they're all pretending to laugh at everything he says. Like, oh, Ryback, yeah, yeah. you're the best. You should be the captain of this ship, Ryback. I don't want to be a captain. I just want to be one of the boys. And I don't believe any of it for a minute. Of all the movies I was looking forward to revisiting, it was Under Siege, because I remember watching this as a as a lad and loving it and thinking Steven Seagal was the greatest because I probably hadn't seen too many Jean-Claude Van Damme movies at the time. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to revisit Under Siege. And this is one of his good ones because Paul from The Countdown told me it was one of his good ones. <laughs> and there are two shitty parts of Under Siege. Yeah. One of them is... Uh, whatever, Alaniac, Erica Alaniac. Yeah. Uh, and the other is Steven Seagal, who is the main character of Under Siege. <laughs> I, okay, okay. I, I will go out on a limb and say, look, I, I really enjoyed this film, but the reason for that is because they gave those two such small roles. You know, like, like Steven Seagal is in the first half of the movie, then he just disappears for large portions of it. And was, that's true. And that's when the movie shines. You know, like you're talking about budget. Yes. The budget was yeah. cocaine inside fucking Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey. Oh. Those two? What the hell? Well, here's the thing, though. In this movie, Gary Busey's the sane one. <laughs> and this is the one. This is the this is the one that takes place after he's had the motorcycle accident in real life, and his brains are scrambled eggs. Yeah. So we're we're not hiding in the house, Gary Busey. We're in Wackadoo, Gary Busey land in real life, and they cast him, and he's playing a villain, a bad guy. But between him and Tommy Lee Jones. He's the understated one. He's playing the straight man villain who's like by the books and we're going to do it, but we're going to do it by the books, goddammit, to Tommy Lee Jones, who is um, basically kind of being Two-Face from Batman Forever <laughs> before he was Two-Face. But there is this extra layer where he is insane, but he's also pretending to be insane so the government won't fucking mess with him so that he can get the nukes off the ship and accomplish what he wants so that he can recreate the world. So he is insane, but he's acting even more insane because when he goes like over the top about like, like the hippie revolution in Vietnam and the government turned on him and now he's going to go back to being a hippie and all this shit. When it's, that's all said and done, he turns to abuse. He goes, do you think they bought it? Yeah. Meaning he's not actually that he's he's crazy. He's just not that type of crazy. He's a different type of crazy. And he could, he himself as an insane person could tell the difference. That's probably more that sentence I just said is probably more thought than the screenwriters put into this. But Tom Lee Jones put some thought into it because if you could have a nuanced performance as a tuner, chewy, scenery chewing, insane person, mm. that's what he's offering here in under siege. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, like as I mentioned, this is the one that me and my wife rewatched together. Well, she'd never seen this before, and I remember turning to her at one point and saying, "If you're thinking to yourself, are you sure that that is esteemed actor Tommy Lee Jones?" <laughs> uh, you're you're right. You are watching Tommy Lee Jones. She's like, "What has happened to him?" I was like, "Nobody villained harder in the '90s than Tommy Lee Jones." Like when he got cast as a villain, 
and uh, this Batman Forever and there's a couple of other films I'm forgetting. Like he just villained himself to death. Like he just went for yes. it and went for it again. You know, it was it was amazing. Like and immediately, you know, we are talking about diehard knockoffs. We have mentioned the same thing for Passenger Fifty Seven. It was the same thing in this again. It's just like we know how much Rickman got applauded and held up and all that sort of stuff. We need to go for just next level villainry at the same time, add a bit of insanity. And it's just, it's amazing. Like it's phenomenal for me. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, Sam, as a purveyor of breasts that you are, (laughs) as a breast monger, can I call it, is that fair that you are a breast monger? I've been known to devil. (laughs) You've been known to monger and breasts. I've been known to monger and a few breasts. Yep. There has got to be a better way to show tits in your movie than the inclusion of this sidekick character. It's like they couldn't decide, do we want to have a character? Do we want to have a woman show her tits jumping out of a cake? Yes. Is that regressive and kind of sexist and like sleazy? So, and it's the nineties now, so we can't quite get away with that sort of shit. Mm. So we want to make her a, a actual heroine who has some kind of a character arc and is involved in the actual action of the plot. Yes. Did they, do we also forget to write her as an actual character? And so for the most part, after she's done screaming and whining and crying and potentially getting them killed and fumble fucking her way through the movie, she disappears. And when she does reappear, she maybe is quasi romantically involved (laughs) with Ryback who she has had, absolutely zero chemistry where they also somehow have, even though she's supposed to be a penthouse or playboy playmate of the year from like 87. uh, She's also somehow behaving as if she's like his daughter. Yeah. Like they had no fucking clue what to do with this character. In terms of relationships between main characters, like this is probably second on my worst out of all of these films, you know, like, like, Passenger 57 was pretty bad. This is even worse. Like, and you're right. Like, the boobs popping out of the cake. I can't help but look at that and wonder to myself, what, what, what's been going on? Has she been in there for approximately four or five hours? <laughs> scrunched yeah, up inside this passed cake. Passed out. Passed out, maybe. Yeah. Um, needs to go to the toilet. You know, needs hunger. Needs nutrition. Something like that. You know, like, what has happened to this woman? Well, here's and what- then she, like, without <clears throat> any music, without any prompting, the cake rolls and she just pops out. Literally like a jack-in-the-box with no top on, ready to go. And there's nobody in the room. And at that point, it doesn't make sense because... Oh, no, 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 no. There is a nobody in the room, but yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how... If Okay. You got motion sick. You took motion sickness pills. You fall asleep. Understood. At that point, the movie doesn't need to show her tits. No. No. She was there to jump out of a cake. She took too many pills. You know, they didn't drug her. She took too many pills, right? Mm, correct. Yeah. She's like, well, if, if two works, I'm real sick. I'll take eight. And so she knocked herself out. She could have just come to and been groggy and wandering the ship and found out, oh, my God, there's a terrorist attack. And then Seagal, like, snatches her, right, and, like, informs her, and then she becomes a sidekick or whatever. Or she could have just been in a character who had no name and was not a person <laughs> who was just a background player who popped out of a cake earlier in the movie to show some tits. Yeah. Like, like the movie didn't need anybody to show their tits, but the movie also didn't need to make her a character and then still have her show her tits to an empty room 
just both basically for the benefit of the audience. Correct. Yeah. No, that's all it was. In the most yeah. nonsensical way, then she is a horrible actress in a horribly written role who is excruciating to listen to speak the entirety of the movie. Correct. Absolutely. 100%. It's kind of sad because 10 year old me, when I watched this the first time, like when she popped out of the cake, I was like, oh my God, this is the best movie ever. And now in hindsight, now watching it 30 years later, it's like, what the hell is this? And and, and her acting performance as well. I remembered her from, you know, like all hot-blooded males in New Zealand in the early 90s used to watch Baywatch remembered her on that oh sure used to yep. you know steal playboys off from friends dads and stuff like that of course so I was like oh sure. Rika Liniak, that's amazing and then yeah now in hindsight and don't look at her Instagram I made, I made that mistake while watching the film it's, it's it's not it's not nice what's happened to her it's yeah it's gone a bit sort of is she one of the ones that's gone off the deep end political uh, I, I didn't find that but I found a lot of Karen I found a lot of Karen behavior and um I see. <laughs> Like yeah, a lot of a lot of va- anti-vax. Behavior. I, I suspect so. I didn't get that far. Yeah. It was like it was three images in, and she used a filter on her face that was supposed to be promotion for her um, natural health podcast or something. And I just thought to myself, "Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this." Talking about nuclear weapons, this retroactively nuclear bombed my boner from 1992. <laughs> That's what this movie did. You know, you know, the other thing is okay. I don't want to rewrite the movie, but. If you're going to have a character like her recast with somebody who'd actually act. Correct. Let's get away from the exploitation of showing boobs. And here's the thing. I'm not against seeing boobs in movies or nudity or balls or scrotum or dong or whatever. Hang it all out, whatever you got. No need to be ashamed. Everybody's asses, everybody's bits and and bobbles and whatnot. Show it all. I don't give a shit. But if you want to get away from the exploitation, why couldn't she have just been? Especially because at this time, there was so much chatter and talk about women in the military in the u.s and blah 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 there were already female naval officers at this time why couldn't she have just been the only female on a ship full of dudes who was completely uh like underestimated by her peers yeah except for maybe ryback or whatever and the two of them have to work together to take back the ship. Yeah, have her as an overachiever. So the, that would be that would be awesome. Like have, it's the cook and the quote unquote, you know, the fem- the woman, the girl, the female who have to save. And who are they saving the ship from? But all of these ultra macho, you know, the the CIA spook Tommy Lee Jones and the asshole common commander. Gary Busey, right? So it's like you're there. They like the the these discounted people have to save the ship against the, like the people the military looks at as being like the top the top echelon. If that makes any mm. sense, like that would be a good juxtaposition. You could actually write her as a character that way. She doesn't feel forced as a sidekick or as a co partner in the movie. And you're not like, why is this woman who took her top off for 15 seconds? Now the main character. We don't have to. We don't have to deal with any of that. We don't have to deal with like, how does she get in the cake and when does she wake up? And now that makes get rid of all that stuff that doesn't make any sense. And you could just have her be, you know, she was she was cast, to, you know, cast aside and put in some remote part of the ship because she's a woman, and that's the thing that keeps her from being taken hostage. And then because then when you have all of these older veterans who end up joining the team, right? like battleship style where all these world war two and Korean 
veterans and up to helping him Seagal take over the ship. Then you're making like a commentary on it's old people. It's, uh, wounded warriors, it's women, yeah. it's cooks, it's discredited people who are teaming up against, you know, the 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 meatheads. And then you have like an actual movie because like they kind of wrote that, but then they didn't. Yeah, it absolutely could be infinitely better for sure. I completely agree. Um, are you familiar with her film that she did two years later called Chases? Chasers? Chasers. I, I was struggling to remember. No. I remember, I remember the cover and... Um, the plot is a hapless Navy sailor is assigned SP duty, the catch. He must escort a beautiful female prisoner on her way to prison for going um, UA. I don't know what that means. Military term, I guess. But um, She, in turn, will try anything to escape. It came out two years later. So if you thought this was pretty terrible for her, she gets worse. Directed by Dennis Hopper. Wait, who, what who, the fuck? Who is she? That, who is she, who's the guy in the movie? Uh, Tom Berenger and William McNamara. Oh. No, 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 nope, never even heard of it. Oh, it's it's bad. It was supposed to be a routine prisoner transfer. Bring up Johnson! They just send the two of you for this prisoner? (laughs) She's gone! Help, please, they're trying to kill me! But she is no ordinary prisoner. Hi, boys! Come back here! Tom Berenger, Erica Aleniak, and William McNamara in a Dennis Hopper film. Chasers. Music by Dwight Yoakam and Pete Anderson. Rated R. Oh, it's bad. I remember like legitimately hiring it because of the cover as a 12-year-old boy and then me and my friend just being like, mm, no, this isn't, no. <laughs> Puberty could not save me from how terrible that film was. The, the composer here, Gary Chang, is doing his best, Michael Carmen, who's a composer for Die Hard. Yep. He's doing his best impression. This is about Die Hard ripoff. This music is 100% Die Hard ripoff music. Thing is, Die Hard music is pretty good, so the movie's pretty mm. good. Um, the final fight, knife fight sequence between a perpetually elderly Tommy Lee Jones, who was 75 in 1994, and a fake master of a pretend martial art is absolutely pathetic on screen. Correct. Watching these two with this knife fight, there's no other word for it. It is pathetic. Correct. I've got nothing to add. It is, it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. The, the parts of this film that are saved are legitimately just, you know, just some of these interactions between these characters. The action scenes are terrible. Um, Skull's terrible. There's, <laughs> there's, like, it also has, like, some, like, you, you mentioned there's some sort of self-awareness, but there's also major parts that aren't. Like, he, he's being protected by a Marine, like a junior Marine or whatever. He's being protected. Mm-hmm. Junior Marine gets shot. like seven or eight times at least like through the chest was you know while protecting Seagal who's locked inside a meat locker when Seagal gets out of that meat locker he walks over to the marine sticks his fingers on his neck and tries to check if he's still alive and it's like yep this is our protagonist how are we supposed to get behind this moron you know like uh I mean I don't have an answer for you. Sam. No, why would you? There's no, there's no answer. The, the answer is I didn't get behind him. And that's what diminished this mm. movie upon its rewatch. Where the, the thing that this movie, look, the director and Tommy Lee Jones, and to some extent Gary Busey, but again, he's playing more of the straight man uh, as far as the two insane maniacs go. Um, they put this movie on their collective backs and they drag it towards decency. Yes, correct. Yeah. Against all inertia created by Steven Seagal, against all negative momentum created by Seagal's performance, if that's what you want to call it, and his 
martial arts, if that's what you want to call them and everything else. So the thing that hurts this movie is I cannot, to your point, get behind the protagonist because I don't believe him. I don't like him. I don't believe him. And I can't get behind the other protagonist because I don't like her and I don't believe her. So on a week like this, it comes in at my number two. Any other week, it probably would have been worst of the week. But this is my number two for this week, the Die Hard Knockoffs. I give it a 7.2 out of 10. This is amazing. I've given it 7.3 out of 10. I was just double checking. And yeah, I liked it. I, I feel like I was way more glowing and positive than you were. But yet we're very similar in score. <laughs> and what was your rank on it? Yeah, 7.3 out of 10. 7.3. No, but what's your rank? Oh, yeah, number two. Yeah, number two for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are we going to diverge at no. all? I don't think no, so. Fuck no, that's what I'm saying. We no. are lock step. I'm like checking this and I was like, there's no way he could have that as number one. Like, <laughs> like uh, I would seriously think he is AI, that he's been programmed with some sort of script of you cannot be negative about a certain <laughs> famous person. You know what I mean? I'd be like, well, there's no way. There's no way. Anyway. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the most electrifying man in sports, entertainment, distilled spirits, and energy drinks. He has never knowingly or unknowingly used performance-enhancing drugs. Black Adam was the biggest box office hit of 2022. Watch it. Let's see if the synchronicity continues. Sam the man. We're going to 1995 now. Still stuck in the 90s. Of course, I'm talking about Sudden Death, which currently has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. This holiday season, the only action in town is on the ice. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Sudden Death, rated R, starts Friday, December 22nd. Sudden Death was directed by the, I don't know if he's great, but I love him, Peter Himes. Uh, it was written by Gene Quintano, who wrote Loaded Weapon 1 and Police Academy 3 through 4. <laughs> so it's a triumphant return. This film was released December 22nd, 1995. It is a triumphal return of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Last seen in Street Fighter is a triumphant return of Powers Booth. Last seen in The Avengers. Love Powers Booth, by love the way. We're going to get to him. Uh, it's a triumphant return of Ross Malinger. Last seen in Kindergarten Cop and Sleepless in Seattle. I don't remember which came first there. Uh, triumphant return of Dorian Harewood. Last seen in Full Metal Jacket. On a budget of $35 million, the movie grossed 644 million the u.s vice president and seventeen thousand screaming fans are taken hostage during game seven of the stanley cup finals and only a disgraced and traumatized firefighter can save the day i didn't move jason even when the building started falling down i didn't move i just want to make a little note here that the chicago hockey team here was played by none other than now defunct minor league farm team the Cleveland Lumberjacks, baby, right up the road for me. Yeah, NIL or whatever the fuck it was called at the time. Peter Himes is like typically a pretty hands-on director when it comes to cinematography. Like not every director does their own cinematography. And there's the relationship between a director and his cinematographer or DP or director of photography varies from director to director and project to project. So it's really hard to say like, well, who did what? Who who determined the shots? Who set up the shots? Who did this? Who did that? Then, of course, you also have ADs, you know, assistant directors and secondary units and whatnot. So um, the dividing lines are not always as clear as you would think based on IMDb listings. 
But in the case of Peter Himes, he's typically his own cinematographer as well as his own, like he's the director of the project as well. Peter Himes may be the best director of bad movies ever. And what I mean by that is you give him a shitty fucking movie and he's going to make it look like James Cameron directed that shit. He's going to give you smoky widescreen movies with strong usage of in-frame lighting and shadows. He's going to give you a movie that looks like a million, a, a billion dollars and will only gross 30 million or 60 million dollars. <laughs> like he is the biggest bang for your buck director of his era. You brought Peter Himes in and you're like, we got to make a sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. We got to make a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's all-time visionary, you know, work of art. Uh, based on a sequel book that people don't like as much. Who do we bring in? Peter Himes. We've got to make, you know, like just the list goes on. We've got to make a diehard clone that takes place in a hockey arena during the Stanley Cup Finals, during the deciding game, down to sudden death, where Jean-Claude Van Damme fights the Pittsburgh Penguins mascot Correct. to death. Oh. Oh. And you know what? Peter Himes directs the living shit out of this movie. What he does is a lost art. It, people, I'm going to say this. In his heyday, he was never considered a top director. Nah. But Sam, I'm willing to die on this hill, and maybe it's just because I'm an old man. Peter Himes' movies look better than 99% of movies made today from the best directors. Wow. I'm not saying the movies are better. I'm saying they look better. They're shot on film. They're shot wide. They're shot with a lot of practical effects. He has interesting shot composition. His movies are blocked. People used to block their fucking movies. What happened to blocking, folks? You know what happened to it? They get a bunch of people at different times, never at the same time, to stand on a soundstage on a fucking green tarp and react to tape on a wall, and then they composite them all in a shot together, and then they just throw pre-rendered graphics behind them, and then they, and then nothing is blocked, and eye lines don't make sense, and nothing makes sense, and you you don't consciously notice it, but you subconsciously notice it. A little disjointed. It seems like a lot of short scenes. It's bold in terms of jerking people around, but I may have gone too far in a few places. But in these movies, you went to an arena during a lockout of the NHL season and to give money to the team because they couldn't sell fucking tickets, they let you blow up their goddamn building <laughs> and you blew up their goddamn building and you had Jean-Claude Van Damme fucking flipping over dishwashing machines from industrial kitchens and chucking real knives at real fucking people. And that shit was great. It's not a good movie. It's a movie that's made well. It's not written well. It's made well. And people don't make movies well anymore. The people who made Red Notice couldn't make this movie if you oh, gave them a million fuck years. No. Movies cost a hundred million dollars and they look like fucking dog shit. You gave Peter Himes thirty million dollars and he gave you something that looked like it was a 
Terminator 2 ripoff. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. I, oh, that, that's my I, rant. No, no, I'm there with you, man. This does look better than like most modern films. You hear that, Russo Brothers? You hear that, Christopher Nolan? You hear that, James Cameron? Eat shit. You guys couldn't do this. You guys couldn't make this with this budget, with this cast. Fuck you. Get fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring in Roger Deakins. I don't give a shit. Eat shit. There is some hyperbole there, but the truth is the average movie today does not look as good as the average Peter Himes movie. No, no, no. Let alone alone movies with six times the budget of an average Peter Himes movie. Correct. He he was very much a product of the 90s, and if you look at his filmography, it is literally like, yeah, yeah, there's a time cop, hey, there's internet. Stuff like that that you're like, oh, yeah, I remember those films, but like they have very distinct visual styles that you do remember. And... Yes, like I, the scripts are dog shit, absolutely. but they look good. <laughs> He's polished the hell out of that shit. You could hang that shit in the yeah, room. Yeah, he made the best looking turds he possibly could. Again, I'm not arguing for the scripts. He wasn't writing shit. I'm not arguing for the movies he directed. I'm saying as a director, he was immensely more talented. He could, you would see a trailer for one of his dog shit movies and be like, that looks like a real movie. And he just on the look of it alone, he could trick you into going to the theater to see it. I'm telling you now, man, like in a thousand years, there's going to be people walk around the Smithsonian and they're like, here's the original reels for Citizen Kane. Here's original reels for Son of Death. He's originally, you know, like, he's. This is the last great filmmaker of the 20th century. This is the last great filmmaker. Peter Himes. Heralded as a genius, you know. <laughs> From this point forward, it was all digital, uh, yeah. and all of that was lost in the great EMP wars <laughs> exactly. uh, uh, of 2027. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The AI went and erased everything, but they couldn't get to the film negatives of sudden death. So once we overcome our AI overlords, the only thing we'll have left is Peter Himes' movies. Can we watch The Legend of Darren McCord again, Dad? No, oh, we sure can, son. <laughs> <laughs> Can we watch the relics during starring times Tom Sizemore? <laughs> yep, you sure can. <laughs> what a world! We got it over here in thirty-five millimeter, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we're living in our caves, the only the only screenings they'll have in our caves in Zion will be Peter Himes movies. <laughs> Imagine it. Oh, what a place! As we're hiding from the robot apocalypse. Yeah, yes, that's heaven. That's heaven, people. You guys are lucky. You know, here's what I'll give this movie. Uh, it is stupid, but the movie is also kind of clever in that every time the action of the main plot needs to stop, like we got to get away from Van Damme. Like, we, okay, we got a Van Damme fight scene. We got Powers Booth, you know, chewing up the scenery, mm-hmm. being a delicious villain. Yeah. Um, you could just cut to the action on the ice. The movie never stops because you're you're always cutting to something is fucking happening on screen and it's extremely well shot. Yeah, I think Peter Himes accidentally directed the best hockey movie of all Correct. time. Correct, correct. This is the this is the most hockey has ever made sense to me in my life. So, so here's a here's a fun fact for you. I absolutely love ice hockey. Like it's. Okay. As far as American sports that came down here, there's mates who are into basketball, there's mates who are into NFL. No one likes baseball outside of America. <laughs> but like, but <laughs> hockey. The Japanese love the baseball, Japanese, sir. Correct. Yeah, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that. There are some you know Central American countries that love it as well. But like, yeah, that's true, hockey yes. was the one that me and all my buddies used to play on PlayStation. And we all had our own favorite teams. And it's like one of the best games to play against each other aside from soccer. It's like, you know, you can get competitive. Goals can come out of nowhere. You can smoke the hell out of your you know, other dude. You have fights. There was all of this like 
interesting stuff woven into it. And I love that saying yeah. that like, hey, I went to a fight the other night and a hockey game broke out. It's like, that was yep, yep. that was like peak 90s for me. And one of my mate's teams was the Pittsburgh Penguins. He loved the Penguins. Mine was Detroit Red Wings. And I loved Luke Robitaille because Luke Robitaille eventually ended up playing for the Detroit Red Wings. And when Luke Robitaille was in this, for years and years <laughs> and years, me and a friend have been quoting this movie wrong, which is, hey, Dad, look. Look, it's Luke Robitaille. Dad, look, it's Luke Robitaille. We used to say that to each other whenever we'd meet somebody and his name was Luke. We'd be like, hey, look, it's Luke Robitaille. And then spend five minutes trying to explain to this poor Luke what the fuck we were talking about. <laughs> but like, it turns out, and then I, we always thought he went, how are you doing, son? But he actually doesn't say that. He says something else. And that was quite disappointing. But like, like uh, there's not a great many hockey films. In fact, there's Slapshot, which is like really good, really good comedy. And then there's Goon. Yep. And then there's Mystery Alaska. Like, uh, as I said, big hockey fan, seen all of these. But this is Miracle, Miracle. Mighty Ducks Ooh, 1 through 3. Oh, Mighty Ducks. Not a Mighty Ducks fan. That's a hot take for, for another day. Not me either. But, um, I do love Miracle just because the, the story behind it is pretty impressive. But the but this the, like legitimately awesome action. Um, when he saves... <laughs> When he okay, when he conservatively in the space of twenty seconds puts on a full hockey <laughs> hockey goalie's outfit, which probably yep. takes about twenty five to thirty minutes, you know, while he's on the run yep. from bad guys, gets fully dressed in a hockey goalie's outfit, goes out, makes a save, and then everyone's cheering. The dude fell over, like the guy shot the puck straight at him, and he fell over. <laughs> Like, yep. if he hadn't have moved, it would have been a better save because he could have controlled the puck and passed it to one of his players. Instead, he fell over like he's just been shot from the audience. And, you know, everyone's cheering. I was like, surely you get it. Like, it wouldn't just be the son getting the, you know, signal of like, holy shit, is that my dad out there? Surely everyone in that audience would have been like, why is our six foot four goalie being replaced by a five foot eight? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> Who is that guy? Why is he out there? What is going on? And secondly, our goalie's gone off with a concussion. Is that right? He went off with a concussion or something. And then he's like, yes. put me back on the ice, coach. You know, like, you're not supposed to be going anywhere. Like, hey, Tolliver or whatever, are you okay? Okay, yeah, get out there. Go. Look, I did not watch this movie because I wanted it to apply to the laws oh, of physics and no the laws way. of hockey. No. I watch this movie because it's smoky and it's blue. And again, it looks like James Cameron ghost directed it on a day off from true lies. And that's why I like Peter Himes movies. I liked it because powers booth powers booth. First of all, what a pseudonym powers. Powers booth. booth yep. May he rest in peace. It's like max power home. It's like a Homer Simpson <laughs> name. He is relishing every minute of being a total wackadoo bad guy in this movie. But the great thing is he, his performance is unlike any of the other Rickman ripoff performances we have seen thus far. He actually just genuinely relishes shooting the mayor of Pittsburgh's wife in the chest because he doesn't like her. And then like 20 minutes later for no reason, just shooting uh, the mayor of Pittsburgh as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Please, he needs a doctor. Not anymore. Go ahead. Dead heroes get the best funerals. Thanks for your help, Andrew. His wife's recently deceased. He'd been lonely without her. I hope that clarifies the urgency of this mission. 
Only your best behavior is going to be good enough. That agent's name was Eddie Kaline. He has a five-year-old boy, a three-year-old little girl, and his wife's pregnant. I'll send a card. What do you want? What do I want? World peace. An end of bigotry and no more mini-malls. What am I going to get? And I am going to get it. That, boys and girls, is really hot. What is your objective? My objective? I get funny all over when you talk like that. I know just what you're thinking. Evaluate the situation, calculate potential losses, and take appropriate action. Let me do that for you. The situation is hopeless. Losses would be unacceptable. So the appropriate action is for you to do nothing and keep your fucking mouth shut. What kind of lunatic are you? <laughs> the best kind. And you can keep calling me names if it makes you feel better. I also love the fact that when he's like shows up, he wants to show people he, he means business. He just like shoots a couple people in the fucking legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just like, he's like, I'll kill people. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to kill him every 50. If, if I don't have X amount of money at the end of every period, I'm going to kill somebody. And then eventually I'm going to work my way up to the vice president. And I'm going to kill him. And if you try to breach, I'll blow up the entire fucking building and I'll kill myself. And of all the movies that I've watched in this binge, the one guy who I truly believe would blow himself up taking the vice president with him is Powers Booth. I 100% believe if this guy doesn't get that money, he's going to blow that stadium up. He'll kill everybody in there, including himself. The only one I'd put up there that would possibly do that as well is Sean Astin, but it wouldn't be intentional. Sean Astor's supposed to be the protagonist. Exactly. Like, I can imagine him blowing himself up and, and the president. for Blowing himself up with his uh, mouthwash moonshine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A batch yeah. that's gone wrong and then destroying about 70,000 square miles of just, you know. Yeah. I also love the fact that we're not cutting a cow Powers Booth, just shooting random fucking uh, 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 mayors and deputy mayors and their wives with the vice president. Shooting, threatening to shoot kids, giving no fucks, threatening to blow himself up, uh, or cutting a Van Damme, killing beloved mascots, uh, or to intense hockey, you know, action. We're also then cutting to like slasher-like deaths. Yes. To the point that the bodies end up being staged around the arena, like Michael Mike, Michael Myers did it. It's really strange. It, it is really strange. I, I, I was thinking of that just as you were talking about it, about the the woman, like the original mascot, just come falling out of the cupboard. You know, like yeah, yeah. like she's been <laughs> yes, stiff. like John Carpenter directed. You're like, is this fucking Halloween? All <laughs> absolutely, of a yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. Weird. I uh, honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of watching this. Um, I I enjoyed it so much that I'm going to put myself on a limb here, Sam. I'm going to tell you, I give this movie a 7.7, and I'm going to say that definitively, this is the greatest Die Hard knockoff of all time. I gave it a 7.9. I was... All, and it's, it's your number... Number one with a bullet. Number one yes, with a bullet. number one with a puck. Oh, with a yes. puck, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Like it, it, Here's the one thing I will say about yeah. the movie. It's actually a pretty decent movie as far as these movies go. The ending kind of falls apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Powers, when Powers Booth is like, the way I'm going to get out of here is I'm going to put on a very noticeable wig and a very fake mustache. <laughs> Just walk out of here in a members-only jacket and hope that nobody notices. And then um, the special effects of Van Damme like hanging from the scoreboard and all that sort of shit. 
they try to do some like weird compositing slash CGI. Uh, that was never Peter Himes forte. So the ending kind of falls apart, but everything up to that ending is like for what this is, it's pretty damn it good. It is pretty good. Like the, the one part of the ending that really got me was that there's a ladder dangling from the helicopter and he jumps onto the ladder, pulls himself up maybe yes. three or four rungs, then shoots out the pilot. And I was like, surely you do that from the comfort of the roof as opposed to dangling in yep. the air and potentially killing yourself that way. Like there, there are moments, like, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of moments and this that made me <laughs> scratch my head. Um, we did an episode of Jingle All The Way and f- one of my questions was, why is a heavily Austrian accented man's name Howard Langston? And in this is Darren McCord. Why is a heavily accented man, <laughs> Darren McCord, a very Scottish last name, yet we've got a He's, guy of a very Belgian they name? Tell- He's very Belgian, very Belgian accent, but they tell you that he's from Quebec originally. Oh, correct. And because he's yeah. from Canada, that's why he knows how to play hockey because he was a collegiate goalie who could have gone pro because that's all they do in Canada. Shout out to Ben's Lord Dan and many others in Canada, uh, all of our Quebecers up there. Um, yeah. Damn. Okay. Yep. They explain it away. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. He's a Scott, uh, 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 a Quebecer uh, uh, who is of Scottish ancestry who happens to sound like a Belgian man. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I, I can believe that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm nitpicking on stupid fingers in this movie, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> like, I'll give that he's a He's the muscles from Brussels by way of Quebec. He's got, he's got triple citizenship, bro. That's true. Yeah. I believe him more as a disgraced firefighter who immigrated from Canada uh, because I'm an American, so I can't distinguish accents one from another. We've already established mm. this, Sam. Um, then I believe that he is Colonel Guile of the U.S. military <laughs> in Street Fighter 2. I was wondering which one you were going to go with. I was like, oh, is he going to go with Fred Dukes? Is he going to go with Fred Dukes from <laughs> Bloodsport or whatever it is? But no. Colonel Guile. Colonel Guile. That's a very good point. USA. 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 All right. Moving on to a movie that is somehow more of a video game than even the video game of Street Fighter 2, the movie, which is a movie that is based on a video game that is based on a movie. I think I got that wrong. It is 2018 Skyscraper. Talk about AI. Shit, this thing was directed, written, starred, and <laughs> shot by a fucking MacBook. This movie somehow has a 48% what? Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck off. That cannot be real. My family is trapped 240 floors in the air. Do exactly what I say. Run! You don't want to do this. coming for you. I'm not going to make it in time. Daddy! You picked the wrong guy. Skyscraper. Rated PG-13. Skyscraper was directed by a person who is not a real human being. Their name is allegedly Ross and Marshall Thurber. Even that name sounds like it was AI generated. It was written by Ross and Marshall Thurber. Even that name sounds like it was computer generated. It is the triumphant return of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, not seen since the days of doom. It is the triumphant return of Chin Han, not seen since the days of Ghost in the Shell. And it is the triumphant return of Noah Taylor, 
last seen in Edge of Tomorrow. This film was released July 1st, 2018 in Beijing, and then July 13th, 2018 in the United States. And a budget of between 125 and 129 million. See Sam's comments about Peter Himes from the last segment. This movie made $304.9 million. Traumatized firefighter is a one-legged man in an ass-kicking VR simulator. And produced by Chinese box office. This movie, yes, despite the fact that it, yes, it was produced by Chinese money and debuted in China because of that and was created basically to try to capture the Chinese market. It underperformed to the point that it, this effectively ended the deal between Legendary and Universal, wow. the distribution they, deal they had where Universal distributed Legendary's pictures. Um, when you look back, Sam, as a listener of your show, when you look back, because I know you've covered a lot of this stuff, at peak era rock as a box office draw, when was that? No, not necessarily the movies per se, but like the years. It would twenty eighteen be one of those years? Because I, I, I don't think he is. Uh, see Black Adam. I don't think he is in his peak nah. box office years anymore. I feel like his peak box office was around the early twenty tens when they started putting him into other franchises in an effort to revitalize those franchises. So he got chucked in the Fast and Furious franchise, and then suddenly it took off again. Yeah. And then he got chucked in the G.I. Joe franchise in the hopes that it would do that, but it didn't. And I'm just really struggling to remember because I know like there was this, there was Rampage, there was a couple of other films that all came out around the same time as each other, and it was like, how sick are we of The Rock by now? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, Jum- Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji's probably, probably the standout for sure, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really hard to say, like, are you sick of one of the most charismatic people on Earth? Yeah, because um, I'm sick of the the movies he keeps choosing to make and the roles he keeps trying to take and play uh, because this movie is nothing more than Towering Inferno plus Die Hard plus yeah, a cartoon. Yeah. This is the one of the most aggressively fake movies it's, I've ever seen. It is legitimately terrible. And it's funny you mentioned that he's like one of those charismatic guys. Like... You follow his Instagram or whatever. Like he, he is like he's he seems like a genuinely nice guy. Like the type of celebrity that if you bumped into yeah. a bar, you'd be like, oh my god, and you'd be like, hey, bro, whatever beer or something, and you'd be like, yeah, awesome, you know. But like, have a shot of Tiamana, <laughs> uh, Tiamana, uh, uh, whatever yeah, exactly. on me. Yeah. Like he feels like he'd be a legitimately nice celebrity. Yet, and he's always was that kind of charismatic, that kind of bold and brash, like a little bit of cocky. Like I've never been a massive wrestling guy. And it sort of had a passing interest in it. Okay, that ends the show. Get the fuck <laughs> off. Get the I know, fuck off. Like, I, fuck as an adult, I've never been to Massive Risk. As a kid, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then sort of he drew me back in and Steve Austin and all those guys in like, you know, the late <clears throat> 90s. And he always used to be this arrogant, cocky, yet charismatic. Yet you kind of root for him. And like it, it's, it's like he's he had a certain amount of that like he had a tank of that and every movie he's he's like come out guns blazing in the first one used up <laughs> half the tank and gone 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got heaps left. And then it's just getting whittled down and now we're just getting the dregs of it. That we get movies like, was it Red Notice yep. or whatever it's called, where we get these like small slivers of in one scene he's just like, you know, hey, and then the rest of it's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Black Adam was a great example of that. It was a great example of like, <clears throat> okay, Black Adam, he's, he's like, he's cold, he's like strong, he's, he's like basically a god on earth. Oh, yeah, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. And then just like an entire two-hour runtime of just just a totally disinterested guy. And it's like, you know, he's out there. He's like, oh, yeah. I love this film. I love everything we did. You know, I'm the, one of the best films. I've been trying to make this for 15 years. Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like you gave a shit. After three boring minutes, The Rock says, know your role and shut your mouth. I second that. It's sad. It's sad. Uh, I- Here's the thing: is I think he's actually trying in skyscraper. You re- I, okay? I, I didn't. I didn't get that feeling. I think he's trying to act. I think he's trying to bring pathos to this character and make you believe that this guy like loves his fu- loves his kids and is a hero and is traumatized right. and all this sort of stuff and and you know oh I have a prosthetic limb and da 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 da. da. And I hate to be cynical and say they probably pick that because then he could say. Oh, you know, I'm. I brought a bunch of people who've r- real wounded firefighters onto the set, and I donated this. Da da da. da and it was like built in PR mm. and goodwill. And how can you boo against a hero who's, you know, has a disability and all this sort of stuff? And you know, he uses his prosthetic leg to be able to um, home alone his way from the club from the centrifuge of a fake skyscraper. It's also a VR chamber that, for some reason, is. So powerful, the bad guys want it because they want the money for the thing that he built the building with, or whatever the fuck. None of this matters. The only thing that matters is they put this, they put all these elements into the Unreal Engine, and all of this movie takes place in Quake <laughs> Two because none of it looks fucking real. None of this none. looks real. There, none. there was a there's a there's a video that was done with um, Adam Savage or MythBusters and works behind the scenes on um, uh, movies like as a prop builder. And he he wanted to sell a debate once and for all, which is, what is better, practical effects mm. or digital effects? And so there's a shot in Chinatown where it's the famous shot where they take a stiletto switchblade and they, spoilers, cut the shit out of Jack Nicholson's nose, right? And it's all in camera, no cuts. They stuck a knife in his fucking nose and they, and blood goes across his face and up into his eye. And for years, people couldn't figure out how the fuck did they do that without actually cutting the guy's nose, right? So they tried to recreate that using the exact same technology that was available to them of how they did it with Chinatown. And then they did it digitally, right? You know, with the same props, but they didn't have to worry about how they did it because they could just do it digitally. And... Then they compared it, you know, they got a digital group, I think it's probably Corridor Crew or whoever, another YouTube channel of guys who work in the industry, and they compared the footage. It was all shot, you know, back to back. What looked more believable? And what looked more believable was when they put a real knife in his nose and they cut his face and the blood went up his face. Mm, It was real blood. It was his performance. They actually had Savage being the one doing the performance was that much more believable. And what they pointed out was it's not so much the knife. It's not so much even the blood of, or how the blood looks or how your eyes register the blood. 
the the digital blood splatter kind of because they did it really well kind of looked like real blood it didn't look that much distinguish that distinguishably different from the 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 fake blood you know the mm. physical blood what they figured out was having a real something in your nose really pushing against your nostril and an unpredictable splatter of blood that went actually into your eye got all of these micro reactions in the face and in the performance that him trying to imagine what it feels like to have a knife up your fucking <laughs> nose and him trying to imagine what the blood would feel like couldn't yeah. capture. So when you get a bunch of actors in a void where they made this movie, wherever that was, the imaging chamber from fucking Quantum Leap, and you gushy the thing, and you try to just do it as a fucking hologram, and nothing is real, and nothing they're interacting with is real, and the chairs in the room that they're sitting on aren't real, and it's like a, a high-end version of a Neil Brain <laughs> film, then there you're never going to get those subtle reactions that you get out of, say, a diehard when you drop Alan Rickman out of a, even though it's a building of three, four scale, when you drop him off of a fucking real height without telling him when you're going to release him and you release him earlier at one right, instead yeah. of three. Yeah. And that look, that look on his face is a real reaction. Yep. When other you're, you're either getting performance or you're getting simulation and movies that are made like skyscraper because they're happening in simulated worlds. You're getting simulated performances. You're getting simulated emotion, not real emotion. And we never, that's the, that's the unspoken uncanny valley beyond whether or not the digital effects are passable or not. The performances aren't passable. And that's the biggest fucking sin of this slog of a movie that was, that was, that is also written with the mentality of a 1980 Saturday morning cartoon of like, why the fuck is Nev Campbell suddenly allowed to just run around with Chinese FBI agents, whatever the fuck they are, Chinese cops. Why is she like, I need to go to the crime scene where I think the terrorists are. Why? And they're like, oh yeah, you should come with us. Yes. Why? One, why do they believe her? And two, why do they let her go Correct. along? Yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely. I know the film tries to explain it at one point, but there's no, there's no plausible explanation. You know, like the, like I, <clears throat> I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, from a, hey, we want to keep the audience engaged. Yes, you want to keep your star up on the on the screen. But when it's like so inexplicably unexcusable for them being there, it's just like, how, how, why, how? Get rid of her. She shouldn't be there. Well, but here's the thing. Back to Under Siege. Okay, we don't want Nev Campbell just to be the mom who no, takes the kids no. to the zoo in a scene we didn't bother filming. We want Nev Campbell to be in the movie because she's a star of some quality. And because who knows, maybe she tests well in China. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> but we want to put Nev Campbell in it and we, we can't, we have to have her do stuff. Then she doesn't other than like, Oh, I also speak Chinese. So I know you're talking shit about my family. It's not as if she gets any action beats. It's not as if she gets like a fight scene at some point where they get to the criminal thing. And it turns out this person's a double agent and she has to fight him. She just, ends up standing on the street as a bystander watching her husband use his fake leg and duct tape to dance around outside the building on a giant LED screen that just happens to be sitting down on street level. It's like, what in the fuck? Why, like, why keep her in the movie? Why cast her and keep her in the movie if she's not 
the, the only action scene we get is when she's in the back of that police car and that other, you know, the evil villainess or whatever you want to call her shows up and then hands Nev Campbell's ass to her. She like kicks the shit out of her in the back of a police yep. car. But then we, we have to have her there because like, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, like Powers Booth shoots a woman in the chest. Sure, that's fine. But we can't have somebody beating up the evil woman except for another woman. So like, you know, the policemen show up, gun on the bad girl and then Nev Campbell punches her right in the face. And it's like, okay. But it's like, what? it's so convoluted. Yep. It's beyond convoluted. <sighs> well, yes, it's beyond it's it's yeah. yeah yeah it's beyond convoluted. I guess she gets another action beat when he says, "Take this elevator, cut the brakes, free fall through fire through an inferno with our small children for five hundred and fifty-five million feet, <laughs> and then at the six hundred and twentieth million foot, hit the brakes." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and you should be fine. And then she does it. And we're supposed to be like, oh, my God. And it's just like, I can't believe that this person, this video game cutscene is going to survive. This, this, this is when I watched it the first time. This is the second time I've seen it. Uh, it was indecipherably like I it, like this isn't a movie. No, I, like I'm just going to go out and say this is not a motion picture. I don't know what it is. It's not quite a video game, not quite a cartoon, not quite a movie. It just is this weird simulation or simulacra. I don't fucking know. This is some cyberpunk William Gibson dystopian filmmaking bullshit. Um, it's like a it's like a twelve year old boy who's jacked up on Mountain Dew has been given like oh hey I'm gonna give you sort of I don't know whatever it is like give you here's three things you've got the rock you've got a skyscraper and you've got terrorists and the travel make a story and the travel like oh this happens and then, uh, this happens and then uh, this happens and it's, <laughs> and it's all of that has just yes. come out of his brain and just been projected onto oh and then this happens and and like oh and then he's he's on top of a crane and then you think he's not gonna make it and yes he should fall like a stone pun intended or fall like a rock whatever you want to say but he leaps 50 fucking meters through the air sorry uh, 150 feet lifts 100 feet 50 feet straight you know no like angle no loop he just shoots straight <laughs> what the fuck are you on about kid it's so unreal that they could have mirrors at the end, although there's mirrors everywhere, and you don't know where anybody is, and they're everywhere. <laughs> it's a million rocks. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking shoot me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're also gonna some. The building is gonna have this thing where all the 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 necessary security protocol equipment to be able to do everything you do to be able to open the vault is gonna be. In, the, in this giant fan, but a giant fan's going to be a thousand stories high in the middle of the building out on a ledge. And you're going to have to jump to the fan at just the right time from a ledge, but there's not going to be a ledge. It's just going to be glass because I saw uh, Rogue Nation. I saw Mission Impossible. And so we're going to do that. But instead of having a, a, a guy actually fucking climb a skyscraper in Dubai, we're just going to digitally render it. And yeah, it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't make, make any, any sense, sense whatsoever. Oh, and how... how why does the super the supercomputer that runs this building is at an entirely inaccessible point outside yeah, exactly. the fucking building? Yeah, exactly. Shit goes sideways. You want to make sure that nobody's around to help you. <laughs> oh, and, and, <laughs> and that nobody will ever be able to access any of the things they need to to turn the fucking sprinklers on in your exactly. goddamn smart. Oh, and how, how big is this building? Is it bigger than the Burj Khalifa? Oh, yeah, it's like three times the Burj Khalifa. You know that's physically impossible. <laughs> uh, 
the wind velocity would knock it over. Uh, bigger. Uh, remember that movie where Tom Cruise actually went outside the building like a maniac and was climbing up the building? It's, it's bigger than that, that one. <laughs> and The Rock's going to do it. He's going to do it with one exactly. fucking leg. Well, The Rock has two legs. Just get rid, get of, rid of it, of it Exactly. Well, we can't build a structure that big. Just build it digitally. We could. Do, we have computers now. We can do anything. You can do anything except for make a movie worth the time to watch. This is the worst of the week. Three point five out of ten. This movie, this movie sucks. Fucking blows. This movie sucks. Uh, Rock's gonna do heaps of pull-ups. He can't do a pull-up. He weighs too much. Well, he, what if he's missing a leg? <laughs> what if he uses the leg as yeah, the true. pull-up bar true. to pull himself up? This movie blows. This movie sucks. <laughs> as I mentioned, there's hyperbole sandwiches. This would be a shit hyperbole. I would give this a negative score if we were reviewing it on my podcast. I'll give it like a negative three thousand and two hundred. There we go. Three point two out of ten is what I had it at. It's like a. I give it a 3.5 out of 10. Holy moly, the synchronicity, the synchronicity has happened. Legitimately, the 3.2 is, I can't even remember why. I like Nev Campbell. <laughs> I just, that's it. Yeah, you know, I like, I like, I too, like yeah. Nev Campbell. That's like, fine. you know, she's in it. It's like, there's, there's nothing else that's really like, um, Chin Han, he's pretty good. I like him. I'm just having a look at the other, oh, Boater or whatever. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo Schreiber. Oh, Pablo Schreiber. I forgot. Um, old mate from bloody um The Wire and, you know, is in the Halo TV series. I actually really like Pablo Schreiber. He was an yeah. amazing piece of shit on Orange is the New Black. And he's an amazing piece of shit in this for about 10 seconds. And when he's gone, I was like, um, oh, I'm, I'm out. You yeah. know? Yeah. You're not my brother because I you lost a leg, but I lost yeah, my exactly. money. Or whatever exactly. the fuck. Yeah. I'm I got more trauma than you. Oh, shit. Absolutely. Whatever. Bullshit. So I decided to screw you over, but you weren't supposed to be here. I but so I'm bad, but I'm not really that bad. <laughs> Fuck. Whatever. All right, it's time for a recap. Well, I think we've both been replaced by AI and we just don't know it. So that seems to be the summary of all of this is that we thought we were humans who were going to become AI, but we are AI. We thought we were here. This legitimately feels like one of those situations where it's like, um, did you do the homework last night? Yeah, you can copy mine, but just like make a couple of changes. Okay, here's Dante's Peak. Here's Volcano. Here's Armageddon. Here's the Deep in <laughs> Sam, yep. the algorithm that made us is the same algorithm. We're a knockoff of each other. Correct. Wait, yes. So am I, is, is Binge Movies a knockoff movie reviews in 20 Q? Maybe. Or is, Yeah. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, coming in dead last for me is Skyscraper, the most aggressively fake film I've ever seen. I don't even want to call it a film. I don't know what it yeah. is. I can't even call it an entertainment. I don't know what the fuck it is. But it, it's out there. It exists. It was released. And it stinks. 3.5 out of 10. Coming number four in any other week would have been the worst of the week. It's uh, 4 out of 10. It is Toy Soldiers. Coming in middle of the pack only because of some budget, budgetary constraints and uh it just kind of—I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know why. But Passenger Fifty Seven, six point eight out of ten. Number two, better looking movie, better villains, arguably because you got better actors, uh, but not as good of a protagonist. Not by a long mile. Seven point two out of ten. Under Siege, and coming in at number one, the the best Die Hard knockoff of all time. Seven point seven out of ten is Sudden Death. Correct. Uh, yeah, so just following on from that, uh, same order, basically. 
Number number five with a fake leg, 3.2 out of 10. Skyscraper. Number four with a drone, 3.8 out of 10. Toy soldiers. Number three with a... Carnival. With a carnival. With an incredibly embarrassing <laughs> love r- romance plot. I don't know what yeah, you yeah, describe yeah. it as. Passenger 57, yeah. 6.9 out of 10. Number two with a... Oh, God. With a protagonist that no one gives a shit about. It's Under Siege, 7.3 <laughs> out of 10. And then number one with a puck. Two tits and a cake. Tits and a cake. There we go. Number two with tits <laughs> and a cake. And then, yeah, number one with a puck. Sudden Death, 7.9 out of 10. If you had to recommend one movie off of this list this week, does obviously doesn't have to be your number one. What would you recommend to the listeners at oh, home? Oh, probably Die Hard. <laughs> All right, on our next episode... We will be ranking the films of Quentin Tarantino, oh. <laughs> which includes Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're a clone of me. I'm a clone of you. <laughs> We're both come out of a computer somewhere deep in the heart of Buena Vista, California. Auckland, Zealand edition uh, of Buena Vista. There's probably, is Auckland a sister city of Buena Vista? Do you know that? Um, I'm not actually in Auckland. I'm in a town, oh, a city called Tauranga, but I was like, I don't know how he's going to pronounce this because yeah. Maori names are hard. Maori names are hard, but it's we're all, we've all got the same time zone, which is why I seen you Auckland as the time zone. Who knows? You're in fucking Auckland, all right? <laughs> I'm in Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I'm an American. I don't understand how other places work. Sam, have you ever seen snow in real life? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're different from Australia. We actually do have ski fields and um, mountains and all that sort of shit. Like we've got like, I... Oh, I know. I know New Zealand does, but have you ever... Uh, do you live in an area that has... Oh, no, we don't get it like naturally. Like we don't get it in the streets, but yeah. Um, the South... We've got two islands. The North Island never gets it. The South Island gets it all the time, so... Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I won't retain any of that information. Why would you? Thank you for sharing <laughs> with me about your culture. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a beautiful place. I hear you guys do amazing things with meat. <laughs> Has somebody been telling you about our habit for having sex with sheep or something? Is that what? <laughs> um, no, but you just disclosed more about your culture than I think you were intending. Well, well, well you've guessed we're, it on the Countdown not- <laughs> podcast recently, and Australians do give New Zealanders a lot of shit about having sex with sheep, which is funny because they eat a lot of our sheep exports. So, you know. When you're not busy <laughs> doing whatever the fuck it is you do to sheep. <laughs> Where can people find you? It's certainly not on Twitter anymore. You've given up on that. Where can we find you? Where's your podcast? Uh, one of the most uh, popular podcasts in the world. Certainly one of the most popular podcasts in your neck of the woods. We'd, That's for sure. I look at your charts. You're always up there at the top. Buddy. We are definitely New Zealand's most popular podcast that gets filmed and recorded at my house. Uh, we might be number two. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I uh, listen. Okay. I have these guys from your side of the planet yeah. on. And I look at your charts and you're all at the top of the fucking charts over yeah. there. And you're all pretty fucking high on the charts worldwide. And you're all pretty fucking high on the charts in the U.S. And as far as independent podcasts go, there's like three of you that fucking rule the world. <laughs> B. Dizzle, Paul, and Sam. You guys fucking rule the world. And every time I'm like, hey, you guys have super popular podcasts that are very clearly in the top 50 of global podcasts produced out of countries no people barely heard of <laughs> other than Paul Hogan. 
And you're like, no, nah, this show's not all that popular. Are you telling me the charts are full of shit over here? Are you telling me that chartable lies? Are you telling me that Apple Podcast lies? Or are you telling me not to believe my eyes and ears? I'm telling you that, I don't know if this is true or not. You can make up your own mind. But potentially six years ago, me, B, Dizzle, and Paul came together and we decided to fund, put together a fund of $1,000, which we sent to a bot army in China. And a bot army in China made this movie, Skyscraper, as well as pumped up our podcast. <laughs> I was about charts. to say, did that bot army also make the film Skyscraper? It did, it did, it, did. it accounted for most of its box. So stuff. what you're saying is you got, you are a, now you are a simulated movie podcast host who is replaced a flesh and blood podcast host whose podcast was only popular due to simulation thanks to bots out of China in the same way that The Rock was only popular because of bots in China. That's correct, yeah. I am a simulation and the original Sam is getting stimulated right now, yep. Do New Zealanders dream of electric sheep? <laughs> the answer is yes. Correct. And they can remember it for you wholesale. Just ask the countdown. Okay. Until next time, folks, this is Jason from Binge Movies saying goodbye for himself and for Sam, the man. Go check out his podcast. Leave him a five-star review if you can. Um, the bots have probably already done it for you, but let's get some real flesh and blood human beings out there cheering for movie reviews and 20 cues. And until next time. For now. I must bid you adieu, so goodbye and binge on. Your jacket is now dry.